Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, it's Mark Patterson back again with another great episode of Finding Your Summit, all about people overcoming adversity and finding their way. Before we get to today's superstar, we want to address my website, www.markpattersonnfl.com. We continue to fundraise my philanthropy work. It's going great. We continue to raise money for higher ground. You can see the hat today if you're on YouTube. And if you're there speaking to YouTube, uh, if you'd please go on and hit the icon, we're trying to add more subscribers. Once we get to certain watch time and amount of subscribers, then you start making a little bit of money. 100% of all that money will go over to higher ground as well to help others in need, like my daughter who has epilepsy. So we continue to uh, to uh, give money and awareness over there. Uh, there's also 240 podcasts that I've done now over the last couple of years of just really amazing people doing incredible things. And uh, if you want to be inspired, we all need that inspiration. Then please go over, listen, give a ratings and review. It helps the popularity of the show in the Apple world. Okay. So on that note, let's get to today's wonderful guest. He is also like myself, a former college and NFL player. His name is Thomas Williams. Thomas, how you doing? Mark, what's up, man? Good to see you. You were referred to me by a gal named Shannon who lives down in, I think, Huntington Beach. And yeah. she had heard you on somebody else's, whether you know her in person or you're, you, she heard you on a pond. She goes, you know, you got to have this dude on. I started doing some research and I go, oh, my God, another USC person. I've had Ronnie Lotta on and some other Paul McDonald. <laughs> and so here they come again. My daughter went to USC, so it's all good. You know, it seems like once we get to that certain spot beyond the gridiron, you know, we're all brothers in one and, you know, here to support each other. But, you know, I started looking back at your your story and and not only, you know, were you uh, at the really the golden years, the golden era of USC football, would I consider the back when Pete Carroll, you guys won, I think, three Rose Bowls and two national championships. You're at the peak, but you're a captain and you've now gone on to great things. So, you know, what did that experience at USC do for you in terms of helping you become the man who you are today in terms of of being a great leader about going out and speaking to other organizations about their potential of greatness and what they can achieve. Yeah. It's um, it's funny because a lot of times we want to, you know, be present, you know, look forward, don't look in your rearview mirror, but I was lucky enough, like you had mentioned, Going to USC at 18 years old from 18 to 23, really got a first class lesson in, in leadership, competition, development, understanding the, the the life cycles of peaks, valleys, which as you, you've discussed before of understanding peaks and valleys, but really it was my foundation of the man, the leader, the father, the husband, the, the, the person that I want to become. And even though I didn't know it, because when I first got to USC, I was right around the time when the star ratings came out, right? Is he a three star? Is he a four star? Is he a five star? And I was a four star. So I was a parade all American, you know, a top 50 player in the country, a top 
15 player in the state of California, not really knowing what that meant. Here I go on to become a first gen college graduate. But through that, I really learned a life lesson in, in life. And so going to college, thinking I was going to be the man as a, as, as a lot of us get recruited or whether it's in corporate world or whether it's in athletics, you're like, they want me, they're picking me, they're selecting me. And lo and behold, I get to college and I eat my first slice of humble pie. And it's when I become, you know, I get redshirted and redshirted for, you know, some of the listeners that might not know what that is, but it's when you practice all week and you don't get a chance to play. And so what I learned is that is this really what you want? And if it's really what you want, then you're going to be put to the test and you're going to have to find out what are you willing to sacrifice to get what you never had. And so it's just like you go to the store right now and you're like, I want this car or I want this bike or I want something. It costs something, right? And so whatever you spend on it, you're not going to be able to utilize in another area. And I learned at 18, you know, whether it was that time in my life when I had to redshirt. So I had to show up and go to practice every day. It's kind of like eat your own dog food, you know, enjoy, embrace the suck, whatever they say. And I had to do it. And then next year I come back during my second year and my coach told me, Hey Thomas, you know, what are your goals for this year? And my coach at the time was Ken Norton jr. Mm. And he said, what are your goals this year? And I was like, I want to, I want to start. I want to play. I want to be a contributor on the team. He's like, great. Uh, how many plays did you play last year? I go, none. He goes, so I just want you to focus on playing one play a game. He goes, I want you to play special teams. I was like, I don't want to play special teams. And again, for the people who might know or might not know what special teams is, it's that one play that usually changes the possession. So offense to defense, defense to offense. And I remember him saying, do you want to be a special player? And I go, yeah. He goes, special players play special teams. And it took me back to when I was in high school and my coach said, do hundred pushups every single night. And I was like, I don't want to do hundred pushups and, and it's find out what other people aren't willing to do and master it. And mm-hmm. so by the end of that year, I earned the name, the hit, hit man. And I had my own little section in the Coliseum. And, you know, to my knowledge, no other special teams player at USC had kind of had that type of, of following of that fan base, because I really gave that one play with everything that I possibly had, almost like I was playing in the Super Bowl or the Rose Bowl or that big championship game, every single play. And, you know, you might get six plays, you might get 10, you might get two, right? You might get a kickoff and a kickoff return. And that's the end of your workday. And so as I transformed from the mindset of this is what I have to do to this is what I get to do, really understanding, you know, the, the saying where they say the strength of the pack is the wolf, the strength of the, the wolf is the pack. And I did it for my teammates. You know, Mark, I, I would love to say that I had this thing inside of me and I, and I'm, you know, I'm a grinder and I, and I grit it out, but I did it for the guys who are to the left and to the right of me. And, you know, the, when, when your teammate comes to you and says, Hey, we need you to make a play. And they know I'm only playing one play at that time. Like, and you're like, my teammates need me. And so, you know, going from playing that one or two plays a game to starting 10 games in my whole entire career at USC. Um, and I did say that correctly, 10 games in my whole entire career. And then to get drafted, you find out that it's not necessarily about what you get on the journey to where you're going, but it's about who you become. And I I remember when I got drafted about 15 minutes after my name got called, I walked into my mom's bedroom and I just kind of took a second for myself and I'm finally here. And I had this dream at seven to be a professional athlete and here it comes true at 23. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, this is it. Mm. I kind of thought there was going to be a a big, big bang or some like, like just uh, mesmerizing euphoric expression or feeling. And it was like, nothing changed. 
Yeah, well, part of that too, though, I think it's because, you know, I, I had a similar experience and, and, you know, it's amazing. I got drafted by the Raiders, you know, those days it was LA. So I came down in your neck of the woods. And I think there's a big obstacle for everybody, anybody who's lucky enough to get drafted. It's one thing to, to, to get picked. And then it's another thing to stay there. And yeah. those times, both those things can be, you know, a bit, a big disconnect, right? I want to unpack something because you said earlier about the cost, the cost of, you know, what it's going to take. You know, to me, it's a sacrifice, right? It's just, what are you willing to sacrifice? When all my buddies were going down, they were in the frats and partying and doing all those kind of things. And I was inside and, you know, yes, I wanted to go out there. I want to be part of the fun, but if you want to achieve greatness, like you were talking about before, we'll get into, like, it's a really hard thing to achieve greatness. Yet, if you're not willing to sacrifice and go through the cost uh, that you were mentioning. And the other thing that you were talking about is you're are, are willing, are you willing to do what it takes? There's, there's yeah. a thing willing versus want to me, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to become the millionaire. Everybody wants to be our first round pick. But when you're talking about willing, are you willing to do what it takes to get to the other side? For me, very similar experience to you. You know, I had to redshirt in those days. You couldn't redshirt to your sophomore year. And it was a long haul for me. And I had a whole lot of dark days. And and I, I've told this story many times where, you know, my size being 6'2", I was a receiver, 6'2", 185 pounds, I could not bench my weight. And so, you know, from going there to being able to bench 350 pounds and be able to push myself around. And, and honestly, probably the hardest I ever got hit was down in the Coliseum against USC. I mean, because I was playing against future NFL players as well. Yeah. And it's just like you're, you, you, you can't even, if you just take your athletic talent aside, if you don't develop your body, your mind, your spirit, and your soul to a place where you can take on at the highest level of competition against a team like USC, Washington versus USC, you know, there's no way you'll ever play. And that's exactly what these coaches prepare you for to get you. And, and then again, the arc, the bridge to what life's lessons, life after football and what they're going to teach you about being a person, being a man, you know, the kind of stand up North star person that you want to be in your life. And so all these things, I love what you're saying, because I had to learn those things the hard way. Cause like you, you know, I was talented and, and talent only takes you so far. Right. And it's like, what are you going to do to elevate yourself? Because everybody else that comes in, I was looking around like, you know, wait a minute, everybody's an All-American. <laughs> right. So all of a sudden, like everybody's here again, you're back at the baseline of zero. And so yeah. it doesn't really matter what the stars are, you know, yeah. in the world yeah. and how that goes. So now you go into the NFL. It sounds like you and I had similar careers, both five years in the NFL. And, yep. and I'm sure that was wonderful. And I'm sure that was amazing, just like for me. But I was here and I was there and everywhere. It's just like there's no stability. And you never know when you're coming. You never know when you're going. And all those things happen to me. But, man, when it was there, when I was around that, you know, you keep I'm going to keep bringing up this word greatness because it's something yeah. that you've written a couple of books on. You know, Marcus Allen. You know, Jim Plunkett, Lester Hayes, you know, all these guys that would become, you know, all pros, played in Super Bowls, went on into the uh, NFL Hall of Fame. And it was just amazing to be in those presence to see what those guys, what their work. So, I mean, that, I, I, so I guess where I'm going with that, what I've tried to do in my life is that mentors count. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure the same thing for you happened as well. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I look at mentor and mentorship in the same boat. And so there's three parts of it, right? So there's an above, there's a side and there's a below. So the mentors above. So who's teaching you, who's showing you. I look at the Ed Santa Padres, who was my high school coach and had also transitioned a lot of players from high school to college. That was my mentor, the Ken Norton juniors, the Pete Carroll's, mm-hmm. the Bill Belichick's 
even as I got into the NFL, the Fred Taylors of the world, the Maurice Jones Drew, these, you know, these, these players who you watch come to work, Aiken Adele, uh, uh, Andre Davis, like these older players who would show you how it's done, right? So everybody is a pro in the NFL, but everybody isn't a pro when it comes to their work. Yeah. And our, our defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, at the time, my rookie year in Jacksonville would always say, you know what the greatest compliment you can ever get in this league is that guy, that, that Mark Patterson, he's a true pro. The guy, Thomas Williams, he's a pro, right? He comes to work. He even comes to work on his days off. And so I remember getting to the NFL and there were some guys, like I had mentioned before, you have the Fred Taylors of the world. And these guys are, are real consummate pros. I mean, they're coming in every day. They're doing their stretches. You could tell that they're doing all the proper stuff, the contrast, the pre-practice, the post-practice, even in between practice, they're doing different drills and you're just watching. You're like, wow, these guys never are off. And I remember seeing other guys who I would see on the days we had to be there. And then all of a sudden you'd have an off day where you're doing your stretching, you're doing your foam rolls, you're doing, you know, your contrast, hot, cold, or, you know, getting your study tape in and they're not there. And you're just watching. You're like, why are they not there? And I had to go back because it's, it's just like you talked about before your surroundings and who you surround yourself with is who you ultimately become good, bad, and different. And so I had to make sure because I started to fall into the trap of, I don't need to do the extra film work. I don't need to do the extra stretching. I don't need to do the extra lifting, the running, the extra this. And when I started to do that, I started to feel myself neglecting what got me there. See, I wasn't the starter all the time. I wasn't the guy who, who was going to come out and knew that I was going to get 50, 60 snaps a game to make 10, 12, 15 tackles. I was the guy who knew that I was going to come in when somebody else got tired or hurt. So I had to be prepared and ready on a drop of a dime. And how do you do that? You prepare yourself with a sense of urgency. And so once I got that back in the NFL, I understood the sense of urgency. And it wasn't just about what was going to happen on game day or practice, this was about the character and the human being who I was going to become. So when I talk about mentorship is that those people who are above you, they trickle down to you. That's why you always find people not who give you great advice, but give you great examples, right? If you can't find the proof, you always want to make sure that you can find the example. And then the same thing when, when, when peer to peer. So now you come to the side now you're looking at mentorship as who is it that I'm showing how to do it? Who is showing me? So this is the example sets. It's like we're rubbing elbows. You're not higher than me. I'm not higher than you, but we're learning and bouncing off each other. So you think mastermind groups. And then when the mentorship below is that this is the information that I've obtained and acquired. This is who I'm supposed to share it and pass it down to, you know, now you get your, you know, in the NFL, I was coming into my third year. There was a younger player who ended up taking my job. But it wasn't about him taking my job. It was about Thomas, teach him everything that you know so that he can learn from your successes and from your mistakes. And if he takes your job, he takes your job. That's that's our that's our duty. That's our responsibility. And I really feel that that's our obligation to teach everything you know. Some guys I went into the NFL with, I'm like, how did you know it was run? How did you know it was passed? How are you saying bird? How are you saying rabbit? How do you know when to stop lifting weights, when to lift more weights, lose weight, gain weight, et cetera? And they wouldn't tell me. It was almost like they give you the shortest answer. And it was almost because they had this, this mindset of, of poverty. Like there was only so many seats at the table type thing, as opposed to, I'm going to give you everything I got because somebody gave me everything I got or somebody did it. Right. So you learn from those vets of this is my duty to pass down to you, or no one taught me. I know this information I'm supposed to teach you because I don't want you to have to learn through the hard ropes like I did. And so having those mentors, but it all started in high school and college where you had people who had done this before and weren't saying, 
do as I say and not as I do. They were saying, do as I say because of what I've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and maybe that falls into something that, you know, when I was, I was looking at your website, you've got this big, bold, fonted letters, I can, I will, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about, you know, when you, when you're, you know, you're talking about that, but I think that's just like a, like, you know, most of the people that listen to this, to this podcast aren't NFL players. Right. And so the, the, the messages of life after football and what did you take? Not everybody has to go to the NFL to learn these messages, but I think there's also comes with the maturity and the security within yourself of being able to say, you know what, even though I know this is the young gun that's coming up, I'm going to teach them everything, not being insecure about your own station in life. Right. And, and right. that's really the gift that keeps giving. And sometimes yep. it doesn't look like that at the time, but always 10 years later, five years later, you know, you look back and you go, wait a minute, this was done for a certain purpose. And I actually had benefited from this, from what yep. that person also taught me, you know, bringing right. the table, as well as what I learned in terms of the gift that I was able to give back. Yeah, so true. And that's, I think, as I'm able to look back in hindsight, now being removed from the game from for 10 years, and it was, it was never about the game. So for me personally, I didn't like, I don't, I don't, I don't miss playing football. I don't miss like at all going to throw a ball around or going to tackle football for me always represented something greater. It represented my father who was, who was missing. So my father wasn't in my life. And so everything that I believe that a father is supposed to teach and give to a son football gave to me, right. It gave me discipline. It gave me affirmation. It gave me consequences. It gave me celebration. It gave me all of these different things. And so the more I threw myself at the game and gave myself and invested myself in the game of football, the more it rewarded me like a father. Now, when the game ended, I had to then come to my father and have our reconciliation and have this conversation of, you know, this is what happened. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Let's grow from it. But had I not experienced, had I not experienced, you know, the feeling of neglect or abandonment by my dad, I would have never fallen in love with the game and the game would have never given me the life lessons that it, that it gave me. So I can, I will, I did is all about positive self-talk. I can is like setting out to, to accomplish this dream. I can go to the NFL. Now there's going to come some difficulties, some hardships, some adversity. I will, I will do it. Right. And, and not because of this is what it looks like. I will do it because this is what I set my mind to do. I understand that just like turbulence and gray skies, this too shall pass. And then I did is the accomplishment. Once you get to, once you get, make it past to the NFL, once you go to college for the first person in your family, once you buy your first car, once you, you know, teach yourself how to ride a bike swimming or whatever it is, it's that confidence you get from accomplishing exactly what you set out. I was on fire when I retired from the NFL, not because if I had a gold jacket, not because I won a Super Bowl, because I didn't do either. I didn't have, a, I didn't go to the Hall of Fame and I never won a Super Bowl. But it was because I sat there at seven years old and I pursued something every single day, whether it was recess, before school, after school, from seven to 23, and I accomplished just that. Mm-hmm. And when you get that type of confidence, you're a different human being. You don't, you don't need validation from the outside world. You don't need a social media post, a compliment, a comment. What you need to do is reflect and look in the mirror and saying, look at what you've done. Look at what you were able to accomplish and look what you pushed through in order to get there. And once you can say that, then you have the confidence that exudes and now you can pour into other people. Again, what did I say before? Not do as I say and not as I do. Do as I say because of what I've done. So now when I go speak to whether it's 
high school kids, college kids, or whether it's corporate America, you know, in a room full of 500 people, my leadership lessons, principles, and stories don't come from what I read in a book. This isn't something from somebody else's social media post that I'm regurgitating. This isn't my opinion of someone else's opinion. This is my experience with a principle and a story, and this is how it applies to your life. And yeah. once you can do that, it's real transformation for the people sitting in the audience. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's because you're a doer. I want to go back and ask you about your dad. Mm -hmm. And, and so you, you know, I, I think the way that you, that you said it, you know, is just like, Hey, let's make up and go on. But I know that there's always much more deep rooted things than that. It's just like, these are, these are deep wounds, man. And, and so I guess the question, have you been able to have you two together? Cause it takes two people to come yeah. and reunite, being able to put that aside move on into a healthy relationship. Yeah. And it's an ongoing process. I mean, just yesterday we we're on the phone me. So it, it was my dad and my daughter and me on a FaceTime. And which is one of the coolest experiences, because even though my dad may have not been the best dad for me at the time when I thought, right. So I'm five, seven, 15 or whatever. He's a, he's a great father to me and the man who I need now. So my dad didn't show up to me when my dad didn't show up to me when I wanted him to show up, but yeah. he showed up for me when I needed him to show up. So when I retired in 2012, my dad gave me the most affirming words that I could have needed in the moment. He said, you're, I said, dad, I'm done. I'm retired. I had a second neck injury. He said, and I thought he was going to be upset. I thought he was going to be mad. And my father told me, he said, Thomas, your words are going to be more powerful than any hit you made on the football field. And I'd broken people's jaws. I dislocated shoulders. Like I had done all of these different things. And when he told me that, I was like, wow, he gave it to me. So then fast forward, we would have our incremental blowups. And I would call him and I'd say, you MFR, I can't believe you did X, Y, and Z. And I'd just sob and I'd cry and we wouldn't talk for a couple of months. And then either he or I would call back and then we would respond back to that. And so it was this ongoing cat and mouse for, I would say the better half of nine years. And then in 2019, we went to a men's conference. I had a friend tell me that you need to forgive your father. And I respected this friend so much that I said, if you're saying it, you're saying it out of kindness and love for me. And they said, you need to forgive your father. And I, I called my dad. And at the time, my dad was a pastor at his church. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, hey, what are you doing these dates? I said, let's go to TD Jake's men con men's conference down in Tampa, Florida. And so I said, here's the dates. I, um, I got us an Airbnb where normally I would have gotten us two separate rooms because mm -hmm. we can't, can't be in the same place at the same time for too long. And uh, during the day from let's call it 9 a.m. till three in the afternoon, we'd go there and we'd be opened up by the word of God through the Bible, through the speakers, through the worship, through the music. And then at night we'd come back and we'd conversate. And we talked one night, my dad said everything he hates about me. And one night I said everything I hate about my dad. Hmm. Now it wasn't, I hate you as a person. It was, I hate this about you hmm. from everything we've gone through. And I told my dad exactly how I felt. And Mark, when I got on that plane to leave from Tampa to Los Angeles, I said, my dad might not ever speak to me again. Hmm. And I'm okay with that because now he knows exactly how I feel. Told you and truth. I said, and my dad told me to, and it was, it, it was hard, but it was worth it. And then probably about a week later, we called each other and we had about a two hour conversation where it was, I'm sorry, not I'm sorry for what I said. 
I'm sorry for what I did to make you say that. Can you forgive me? Can you move past? Can you do this? And the coolest thing my dad told me, and it was real, he said, I'm your father and I'm supposed to be your hero, but you're my son in your mind. And when he said that, I was like, whoa, whoa. Incredible. Incredible. The irony of the whole thing is that he's a pastor. And, yeah. you know, pastors should be, again, talking about the when you're in those mentor type roles and you're speaking to everybody that's out there in your, your congregation, um, you're always preaching about forgiveness and love and everything else. And so I'm sure, you know, maybe there was there was some connection with his father. You know, so these things aren't ever as simple as just he said, she said, you know, type of thing. You mentioned that you're also a father now. And so I think one of the things that we always try to do is like make history not repeat itself when things negatively have gone down that certain, certain, certain path. Right. Yeah. And so, so I'll, I'll ask you about your relationship with your daughter. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. It's, uh, it's one of the coolest things. So after after, well, when I found out I was going to become a dad, I was freaking out because again, my confidence comes from ex- exposure yeah. and examples. And so in sport in football coach, show me how to do it. And I can do it. Yeah. Show yeah. me in the film room. Right. So we, we, we learn as athletes in three ways. Um, preparation, practice, performance, preparation is in the film room, practice is on the field, practice field, and then performance is the game. So we learn in those increments. And so I had become a master at that. Well, wait a minute. I've never prepared, I've never practiced because I haven't had the example. And now I'm just going to be thrown into performance. So I had to take a long look in the mirror and saying, what did I not like about my father? What's the one thing I wish my dad would have given me? And it wasn't, I wish my dad would have given me more shoes. I wish my dad would have given me more, you know, jerseys and more. It was, I wish my dad would have given me more time. And so for me, I said, okay, that's what I'm going to give. I'm going to give time. When I'm there, I'm going to be there and I'm going to constantly be able to create and think about things just like in business. Well, in business, I I'm creative. I can reverse engineer anything with my daughter and with my family. I need to be able to do the same thing. Mark, one of my biggest fears is going to a speaking engagement and I, you know, there's 5,000 people in the audience and afterwards, you know, my family's sitting, standing next to me and people are coming up to me, you know, whether it's autograph on my books or taking pictures or just saying, thank you. We get in the car, the, the doors close, and I desperately fear my family looking at me and saying, why have you never talked to us like that? I, I fear it. I fear it. So that's what I reverse engineer every single day. If I have a speaking engagement, I have to come home and I need to pour into my family just as much, whether it's we're going to walk and go get an ice cream and we're going to talk. We're going to read a book. We're going to watch a family movie. We're going to hold hands and have a date night with all of us. Because if I pour into the world and I neglect my family, shame on me. I forget. I think it was uh, Simon Bailey who says uh, he was he was saying something one time and he says, we give the world the best of us and we give the family the rest of us. And I'm trying to flip that on its head every single day. I'm not perfect, but that's my aim. That's my goal. And I'm, I'm intentional about, okay, I'm going to go on the road and I'm going to speak, or I'm going to do this podcast and I'm going to speak when I get off. And when my family's around, I'm going to give them my attention and I'm going to plan for them. Just like I planned for this client, for this podcast, for this webinar, whatever it is, because the only thing I ever wanted my father to give me, was his time. 
And when I wrote my book, Permission to Dream, I called them and I said, dad, I'm writing this book. Can you help me understand like our thing? Talk to me about our thing, dad. And because in my mind, we didn't have a thing. But again, you know, there's, there's, there's the reality versus perception. Maybe that was my perception. Dad, tell me like, you know, did we go to ball games? Did we play catch? Did we, you know, go shoot hoops? Did we go to the movies? And my dad paused and he said, honestly, we didn't, we don't, we don't, we don't have a thing. We didn't do a thing. And so I was like, all right, well, one, thank you for my memory serving me correctly. It wasn't, you know, perception versus reality, but two, it was, I don't want my kids. I don't want my family to have that. We don't have a thing, right? We might not be able to do everything, but we have something. So like, for example, one of the things on the weekend, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, me and my daughter, we, we go to the coffee shop, she gets her banana muffin and I get my coffee and we just sit and we just talk. We look, you know, we point at stuff because I want her to know she can always come to me and ask me about anything, but not when she turns 18, it's when she's eight months old on. And so now she's 22 months. And so, you know, the people in the coffee shop know her name. Um, which whoa, is really whoa, whoa. Cool. You're, you have a 22 month old daughter. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. 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 And, I, and we got, and we got another baby girl on the way. Yeah. Yeah. You should be pumped, man. It's you're, you're just in the first quarter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's great. That's great. I've got two daughters. Uh, one, as we mentioned, went to USC. Yeah. So she's 25 and the other one's 23. So I'm, I'm further down the, down the road, but I think one of the things that you just, you just talked about the word that you mentioned that really jumped off the page to me was intentional. Yeah. And, and one of the things I try to be on everything I do is intentional and intentionally try to, you know, work out. I intentionally try to give my daughters, I talk to them every single flipping day, yeah. every day I talk to them, you know, I try to be intentional about my work. You know, there's so many things, but I think if you're, if you're just living in the moment and just flying around in a circle, you're never going to get to where you want to go. And to me, who cares what you did in the past? It's great because there's life lessons. It's really where you're going and all, all the different things that, that are out there. That's sure. You've been able to do something, talk about intentional that I have yet been able to do. We're trying to, we're trying to change this right now with a, a book agent, but you've actually come out with two books, Relentless, Relentless Pursuit of Greatness and Permission to Dream. Yeah. Love, love, love the titles of both those. I mean, I, I just look at this and it's just like, that's me, man. Um, so our lives are so parallel. It's, it's, it's insane. But, but when you're talking about the pursuit of greatness, I'm sure you've yeah. got like the keys to success and you've talked about some of these things in the past, but just trying the process of writing a book, you know, again, let's talk about intentional. How difficult was that for you to sit down, pen to paper and actually crank something out? So my first book, Permission to Dream, I, it was 2014 release. So I started in 2012, I want to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I started in 2012 and I wanted to give myself a goal for the football season. Cause I don't know about you, but for me, that first year, those first couple of years, like July through February, you're, you're itching. You're like, you're like, well, wait, I'm supposed to be tackling. I'm, I'm I, I hear whistles out at the park at little kids at soccer. And I'm like, wait, am I, am I, am I walking to the drill? Do I need to be running? And so I, I, I purposely gave myself a task just like football season, right? You wake up in the morning. I literally took out my last training camp schedule, right? Breakfast, tape, stretch, offense, defense, special teams, position, blah, 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 early outs, blah, blah, blah. And I took that same schedule and I just changed the name of it to breakfast, my workout, reading, spiritual time with God, stretching, 
uh, writing, whatever it was. And I just took that same thing, Mark, and then I applied it to my life then and there. So I gave myself a goal to write a book. I thought it was going to take six months. And then all of a sudden I started talking to people and they were like, it takes between two and four years. My first book, my first book, I think was 14 months. Mm. And then my next one was 11. Um, But for me, it was, it, it gave me, it gave me a sense of purpose again. And so for me, routine structure is my best friend. If I don't have either, I'm in a world of heap. And so my girl, she's, she's, she has a routine, but she's less structured. She's a mom. She's, she understands flexibility and fluidity. I'm freaking out. Like if right now we wake up today and it's like, what do you want to do today? Nothing. Or I don't know. It's like that freaks me out. So being able to have the structure with, with a book writer, with an editor, with a ghost writer and a storyteller it gave me that tribe and the team of people, as well as it gave me a, an intended outcome. Hey, at the beginning of the year, we want to win the championship. How do we get there? Mm. By having a best practice today. And so it was by writing my best page or best paragraph or best sentence today. And so you do those for enough days in a row, you, you come out with a book. But for me, I mean, it was a grind. I was, I was working with people twice a week. So I would, we would start on a phone call then I would write and then I would send it to them. Then they would send their edits back. We'd talk on another phone call later that week. We'd do that same process for 11 months. And then there was a time with permission to dream that we were at a standstill for about, I would say about a month and a half, two months. And it's because I didn't want to go there. I was not ready to go there with permission to dream because that's about kindergarten through uh, high school for me. And so there was a couple of points where I was stuck because I wasn't ready to tap in. I wasn't ready to acknowledge it. I wasn't ready to admit it. And once I was ready to acknowledge it and admit it, then I was able to write it. And once I was able to write it, it just flowed. That's incredible. You know, a guy who's been on this podcast is John Gordon. It sounds like you're, you're attached to his organization in some yeah. way in the speaking yeah. group, but uh, just wonderful. We talked a lot about the energy bus and, you know, who should be on the bus and who should, and you gotta be, yeah, I work at Sports Illustrated, and so we definitely have gone from, you know, a small company, relatively speaking, to quite large and and making sure you have the right people and people have come, people have gone. But, you know, again, if you don't have everybody paddling in the same direction uh, with the same kind of energy, you don't get very far. You can't realize your potential. And then you get down to that, um, the, the, the title of your one book, Permission to Dream. You yep. can't dream big if you don't execute in a big way, right? Yeah. And, then, yeah. and, then, and then assign, understand what the kind of work ethic. When I was training for Everest last year, actually the last two years, you know, I mean, I took my training, which I'd done the other seven, six, actually the other six of the seven summits around the world. And I took it to a whole different level. And, yeah. I, and I can feel that right now. I'm still going after the Matterhorn and Mount Blanc and in France and Switzerland, you know, a little bit later this year. But yeah. at the same time, it's a, it's a different level. It's a different level yeah. because the expectation isn't quite as high to, you know, make the NFL of all mountains. Yep. Yep. Right. That's yep. out there. So um, I, I totally get that. And it must be a thrill to work alongside John. He's a great dude. Just, you know, first awesome. and foremost. So then you get into the mentorship and goal setting and, and the other things that you want to do down your life, down in yeah. your lifetime. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, John, you know, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. So a buddy of mine, his name's Yogi Roth and Yogi is know, killing Yogi. it. With, yeah. So Yogi, Yogi was our GA at USC. So I've known Yogi since 2004, 2005. And then in 2017, it was December 28th to be exact. 
I said, you know, this is about being intentional about what you want and then asking for what you want because people or the universe or God will give it to you. But if you don't know what you want, then you can't ask and then you won't get it. Um, you know, kind of like what you're saying, choice versus chance. And so for me, I was uh, sitting down having coffee with Yogi. He's like, what do you need? And you're like, what are you looking for? What's the quest? What's next year about blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I need a coach. I had a coach to get me from high school to college. I had a coach to get me from college to the NFL, but I don't have a coach in the speaking world, in the professional or in, in professional and personal development. And he's like, do you know, John, John Gordon? And I was like, yeah, I know him. So he connected us. John goes, Hey man, I'll, I'll be, you know, taking a walk January 1st, which in a couple of days out in LA, Venice beach, uh, come say hello if you're around. So I go talk to John and John tells me in five minutes, like, you know, when you talk to those people within like the first 30 seconds, you're like, you get exactly where I am mm -hmm. or, you know what I'm saying. And so John goes, how are you doing with your speaking career? I go, John, I'm burnt out, man. I'm tired. He goes, how often are you speaking? And I was like, twice a month. I'm talking like 20, 25 times a year. And he goes, that's because you're focused on the fruit. I was like, the what? He goes, the fruit. He goes, see, most people focus on the fruit. They neglect the root and the tree dies. Focus on the root, the tree will grow and you'll have more and more fruit. What do you mean, John? Get back to why you love, why you love what you do. Just do that. He's like, can you speak once a week? I was like, I don't think so. So going from 20 something times a year to 52, yeah. he goes, wow. he goes, last year I spoke 88. I was like, wow. Okay, I'll try. So I tried it, spoke. I mean, I think that year, my most m month was like nine in August. It was nine. It was all over and uh, ended up getting to 44. And he goes, see, see what happens when you intentionally place your mind on, on the route? Hmm. How do you feel? How do you do this? And so then after that time, John put me on the team and just started sending me gigs. And now I'm a certified John Gordon speaker um, and love it. That's awesome. Love it. I saw, yeah, yeah. No, he's a great guy. He's a great yeah. guy. So where can people find you uh, for your, not only just your books, which uh, are, you know, again, great titles. I want to, I want to dig into these things. And, and number two, for your speaking gigs. Yeah. So uh, find me on the website, thomasrwilliams.com. Social media. I've been off social media for the last two years, two and a half years. December 31st, 2019 was my last post. So uh, the only place you can find me is, uh, is on my website. All right. There he is. Um, hey, listen, man, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I, I just, I can't even tell you how much I get energized. And this is the reason why I continue to do this now, 240 plus episodes, because I get energized when I have somebody on the other side of the fence that has as much passion about life, has as much focus about, of life and positivity, you know, just mm. great energy. And when you bring those things to the table, great things can happen. Man, Mark, I appreciate it. And I can say I share the same with you because the way that you're pursuing life is the way that I also want to. So continue to set the example, man, because we're watching. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. There is the one, the only Thomas Williams. Thank you, buddy. Hey, and thank you so much for listening to the Find Your Summit podcast. We are so glad to have you along for this journey. And if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend, share it on iTunes, spread it to the planet. We're looking to broadcast this to every person that is out there because, as you know, everybody has their own summit that they're going after. Okay, if you're looking to follow my journey, you can find that through my social links on markpattisonnfl.com. That's Mark, M-A-R-K, Pattison, P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N, NFL.com. So... 
Until the next podcast, just remember, clear eyes, full hearts, and remember, it takes a little more to make a champion, so make it happen. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.